everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Green and Gold, the podcast where we talk about all things cannabis. Today's show is a little different than most in that it's less about any specific breaking news or topic in the cannabis world and more look at what was happening in the world at large. We recorded the interview for this episode two weeks ago during the height of two California wildfires, the Camp Fire in the Butte County town of Paradise and the Woolsey Fire, which started in Simi Valley and spread to Malibu, Ventura County, and beyond. While thankfully both fires are now contained, this effort took weeks, and the damage, which included loss of life and destruction of property, is still being calculated. In the campfire, the death toll has reached 88, and it secured its title as the most deadly and destructive wildfire in California history. The Woolsey Fire destroyed nearly 90% of National Park Service land in the Santa Monica Mountains, and almost 100,000 acres of land in Southern California as a whole. Early estimates say that insurance claims related to both of these fires will likely total more than $20 billion. Which brings us to the cannabis connection. Because of cannabis's newly legal status in California and ongoing classification as illegal under federal law, most weed growers and businesses at large don't have the kind of standard insurance coverage like you would for any other home or business. This became an especially large issue last year when, almost a year to date before these most recent fires started, There was another series of wildfires in California. These ones took place in Northern California through multiple counties, including Sonoma and Mendocino, and tore through homes and wineries and farms, but also a ton of cannabis grows. And a lot of these cannabis farms were destroyed with little recourse or recovery possibilities available to the growers. Farms were either completely burned to the ground by the actual fire, or the cannabis crop was ruined by the extreme heat at the time, or simply a lack of watering. A lot of people had to evacuate their farms in the middle of the night, leave suddenly, um, and weren't able to go back for days at a time, so their plants left unattended died or were extremely damaged. So in addition to losing their entire livelihood in the form of the actual cannabis crop, many growers saw their finances literally go up in flames as their cash burned around them. Because as we know by now, using a banking system is complicated as a cannabis business owner and is the reason why largely most cannabis Growers, distributors, all sorts of operators still rely heavily on cash. So we decided to check in on recovery efforts and what's happened since then. We caught up with a farmer who I spoke with last year for a story I did for Leafly. He prefers to go just by his first name, John, and lost his 40-acre weed farm in Redwood Valley. He, luckily, has since rebuilt his life with his family in Sonoma County and is now working in distribution and sales for a handful of cannabis and CBD companies. When we talked to him, he was actually camping in Southern California with his family and could see the flames of the Woolsey fire from the beach where they were. 
We get right into it with him as he describes fleeing his home in the middle of the night, having no time to grab anything but a chainsaw, some gas, and three boxes of weed that had been prepped and packaged for sale. You know, we woke up to friends calling us frantically, just screaming and crying over the phone, uh, you know, telling us to leave and get out of there, leave right now, leave everything. Um, we lived in a really remote area, Redwood Valley, Kaya. And no no house phone, rarely cell service. So it was kind of a miracle that my phone happened to be on. I was getting up for work in a few hours, um, working a big commercial farm up there. And yeah, I just woke up to terror and fear and, you know, grabbed my kids, uh, woke up my 97-year-old grandmother. I just snapped into panic mode. You know, it was quite dysfunctional in the sense that you know, you have no idea what's going on. You have no idea where you're going, what you're doing. Um, there's one road in, one road out. When we had talked a year ago, you had recounted this, like you said, packing up your wife and your kids and your grandma yeah. and having yeah. to having to trail um, your family and your truck yeah. and watch them. And I'm wondering if today, you know, does this moment still stand out to you the most? Or what about this whole experience has um, really stuck with you now when you look back on it? Yeah, it, it does. That, yeah, that night, I mean, I lost my garden. I lost all my products that I had stored up for the year. You know, I grabbed a duffel bag of cash and my cell phone and my chainsaws. And that's like... And I didn't make it out with all of that. <laughs> I crashed my truck on the way out. Uh, I lost all my product. I lost all my saws. Um, I grabbed my phone and my money and thought my family had died. They were ahead of me. So after I crashed, my truck, you know, was engulfed with flames. And then I just ran down the road and, you know, all these station wagons rolling down the hillside on fire, you know, of course was ours with my family inside of it so um terrifying you know it's horrible and so getting back to the point it was like you know my year began then because i was a completely different person at that point i died three or four times my children were had passed away you know like it just like humbles you and breaks you down to nothing you know you don't exist anymore um so that was the beginning the next day you know Finding out that my wife was alive, finding out my kids were okay, my grandmother survived, um, you know, that was the beginning of life for me again. Because um, you had basically so. run through all these scenarios in which everything was lost. Uh, and you, Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I was a wreck, you know, crying. I, I, had, I had taken Cal Fire trucks back in to look for them, which then followed into these search and rescue missions that I was you know, ill-prepared for. I'm in my underwear. You know, there's propane tanks exploding. I have a volunteer firefighter truck, you know, with a CB radio going off, chattering all these addresses, search and rescue, you know, bodies inside of the home. So, yeah, it was a rough night, a rough night. Still, and to this day, I'm still recovering. You know, I'm, I was sitting in a hot spring the other day talking to an older fellow and just like, you know, I'm still not okay. <laughs> I should definitely seek closure or not. You know, I don't know how people deal with these traumatic situations. It's going on right now. You know, I'm I'm down here and I'm looking at the glow from the fire off the Pacific Ocean right now. It's 
you know, seeing the fires going on now, and obviously this is kind of a huge part of what inspired me to check back in with you, um, was, you know, how, how do you feel, I guess, these days watching these other towns like Paradise, like Malibu, like mm-hmm. big swaths of Ventura County kind of go through this destruction that you know firsthand? Is it is it hard mm-hmm. for you to watch? How how do you feel kind of witnessing this thing all over again, but luckily this time right. with a little bit of distance at least? Uh, yeah, I've definitely taken a different position. You know, I was so blessed for my community and um you know the one good thing about these horrible events that are taking place is it really forms community and you really find out who you have and what's going on and also allowing for people that have never gotten involved in their direct community to get involved Mm -hmm. to help out their neighbor you know to like drive three hours and fill up your truck with as much of their garden as you can and get that out of there because that's their financial lifeline. That's all that they have. And, you know, that feeds their children, that feeds your children. You know, that's beautiful. So I try and stay optimistic and stay on the positive side that everything has a meaning, everything happens for a reason. And, you know, for people that have never locked in this opportunity or taken advantage of it, to be a human, to be um, a person just like the one that lives next to you, Um, I hope that, you know, it can be an opportunity for them to take advantage of that, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, it was such a blessing to lose every material item in my life. I was, you know, economically, it was hugely um, uplifting for me um, just to see the meaning and value and wealth and what you absolutely need and what you absolutely don't. Mm -hmm. And you become wealthier overnight harnessing that reality of having less but yet having so much more um so you know i tell some people it's like short answer is the best thing that could ever happen to me i didn't die and i lost everything that i didn't need in my life i mean that's that's an amazing that's an amazing way to look at it and i know that you now um you know you and your family are resettled and you are back working in cannabis and so i'm wondering if you can tell me you know you lost your whole farm and had to uproot your whole family um and kind of what that work is like now how that adjustment period has been um for you yeah luckily i had a job at the time on a commercial permanent farm uh, which i still work closely with you know that was a blessing which did not burn so i still could go to work the next day um but it you know it instilled a drive for me to go out there and change like i had to change something i was working and growing on the black market for 10 years you know um and it was really challenging you have losses i also had huge losses before that where i zeroed out whether that be the the feds or the sheriffs or the county, you know, like you, you lose entire gardens, your permitting's off, they come and cut everything down and raids and all that stuff, robbery, armed robbery. Um, you know, those are all horrible, scary things that ultimately the same outcome, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's a really, it's been a really hard life to live. And so many people out there continue to do that. And it sucks. You know, it sucks that people have to do that over a medicine, over a plant that we all or many of us enjoy so much. 
And, you know, losing everything and going through all that, I was kind of like, this is my final straw. And so now, you know, I, I'm on the white side, you know, I'm registered, I'm permanent, I'm a distributor, I deal with this stuff, you know, I pay my taxes, I, you know, which is, was also very difficult to get involved with. And unfortunately, you know, it's a snatch and grab right now for corporations, for large investors, you know, it's almost like, you know, the farmer has lost his sense of power and significance due to investors. It's been a a trippy year merging those gaps and becoming something, you know, I had to search for the profits. I had to put myself in a position where I was making a salary instead of the love of it, which was before, you know, I had the passion for the earth. I had the passion for the plant. This year I had to transition into something that would actually take care of my family and also keep me out of jail. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm curious, you know, um, because this continues, I'm sure, until today with a lot of people who are rebuilding. Um, At the time last year when this was happening and shortly after, you know, there was a lot of outreach and support for certain victims of the wildfire. Um, A lot of, you know, a lot of coverage around the wineries that had burned um, and other agriculture. But then some very palpable (laughs) friction when it came to cannabis businesses. You know, I talked to people who said... Mm -hmm. It was harder for them to go back and access their farm. They couldn't get, obviously, insurance to reimburse them. So I'm wondering, you know, how um, the nature of your business, i.e. growing cannabis and losing, losing a farm like that, impacted your ability to recover in a way you would like you know do you do you think that if it was something else you were farming you would have been back on back onto farming as opposed to like you said having to find something that really just supports your family um i think definitely things might have been different it goes back to community though you know the community was everything for me i was getting cash handouts i was getting clothes i was getting places to stay um i was blessed i'm also you know a middle-class white male in a predominantly white, you know, economy and culture up there, Mm -hmm. Northern California, you know, there, I'm sure I spoke on that article on the Leafly with you about, we're getting no coverage up here. This is Ukiah. This is not Sonoma. This is not St. Helena. This is not Napa communities that I grew up in, by the way, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's much more poor up there. It's much more off the radar. And that's why cannabis is so much bigger up there. These farmers that have been growing cannabis for so many years have made so much more money per capita than the fig farmer, than the apple orchard and or the vintner, you know, mm-hmm. on a on an individual process. Like, sure, wineries have a lot of money because they've put in a lot of money, you know. That's an expensive industry. Whereas cannabis, you can do a 10,000 square foot grow, you know, for a reasonable amount of money and make a lot of profit from that. And that's what people are attacking. And that's what I think people don't like. And that's why ultimately, you know, it's still illegal. And or if you pay those exuberant amount of taxes, you can do it legally, but only on those terms. So, you know, it's weeding out the the poor class because you can't afford to grow white market cannabis. Mm-hmm. You can't afford to be a distributor. You can't afford a storefront because that costs so much money to just be legal. 
there's going to be people frowning on me for even saying this, but that's the reality. It's money is the final call for the outcome of your legality and your ability to thrive and prosper in the economy. So, so now I'm curious, um, you know, you said that you had to take a salary and are working to stay out of jail mm-hmm. by working licensed. Um, <laughs> well, stay out of jail. I wouldn't even say that. I mean, well, that's not, what the not license put does. Myself in jail. Yes, exactly. Not put myself in jail. Everything is my decision. It's always been that from day one. The problem is, you know, earlier I was willing to take that risk and make more money. And so can you tell us a little bit more about what you are doing now? Yeah. Um, my wife is a healer, acupuncturist, practices Eastern and Western medicine. And kind of what we started doing, what it really, you know, it grew us as a family unit, the whole experience from the fire. You know, we had to figure out, we wanted each other in each other's lives. We wanted to be together forever. But how do you do that in a sustainable way? You know, ultimately what I was doing was trying to help the people. I was trying to heal the people. I was trying to produce a medicine that was not only good and healthy for folks, but also, you know, earned me an income. And um, she, us collectively started working with groups that, you know, superfood companies, CBD companies, um, vegan, organic, plant-based. And that's kind of the route I went, you know, was focusing more on quality, more on what is going to take care of this planet and all the humans on it as our focus and as our movement. So just to clarify, so with with your distributor license, these are the kind of products you're focusing on distributing? Absolutely. And, yeah. and so then do you work with um, under a larger company or with a series of dispensaries or like how does um, logistically, how does it work these days? Both. Yeah, I work as an individual and then I also work for a company called Purium, P-U-R- IUM and they do superfoods and also CBD products. Gotcha. Okay, cool. As a distributor, I also work as, you know, an individual for cannabis, more on THC driven um, products and stuff like that. Cannabis is a very powerful plant, but more importantly, CBD is a very powerful medicine. And um, that's been a great kind of redirection for me, focusing on tinctures, focusing on this beautiful medicine that actually really goes deeper into your entire body and the makeup of every gene and all the DNA inside of you. And so do you, do you see yourself ever going back to kind of the larger farm like you had before, or is this new direction kind of Mm -hmm. where, what you're pursuing? Yeah. I mean, I'm directly, I'm still in that industry and in that community. I build farms, greenhouses, um, do soil science, do garden layout, do all of that stuff. So I'm happy to set people up on that level. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Canacraft is a perfect example or abstract, you know, these Northern California companies. Um, but like I went in there being like, so this is what I've done for the last 10 years. And, you know, I want a job. And they're like, well, what do you want to do? And ideally farm management, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to be out in the field. I want to make sure everything's going good. And they're like, yeah, no problem. We can give you a job, but it's, we can only pay you $14 an hour. And so it's like, I was, I was shocked. You know, how do you, 
how do you survive on that? Mm-hmm. You know, going from making really good money and, and, you know, learning this knowledge, learning this crap, learning this art, the hard way, you know, having mentors, but all those mistakes you take on yourself, you know, and all those mistakes cost money and they're, they're, it's, can be drastic you know so i thought it was like this special creature having taught myself all these years this trade and now you know first couple experiences going into that industry and saying hey i need a job i'm this skilled skilled person and you get you start at the bottom because they can get workers just as skilled from all over the world as you for that wage Mm -hmm. you know so so then I went into sales and marketing, which I am now, you know, just simply, well, one cool and very nice feature about it is I absolutely have quality control over what medicine is being distributed to patients, which is great. What direction did I go? I went into the, the human healing direction of, yeah, I want you to smoke cannabis. I want you to take CBD. And I also want you to you know, drink all these superfoods and have these smoothies as well, because ultimately you're going to live longer. Your kids are going to be healthier and you're going to be happier. Well, it sounds like it's working for you guys. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say it's, it sounds like it's working for you. And I'm very happy to hear that, you know, you guys are doing so well and are resettled and, you know, have this awesome, awesome new direction. So I thank you again, John, for taking the time to kind of catch up with me. Yeah. Um, and well, yeah. thank you for shining the light on, you know, kind of a forgotten culture. All right. That's it for this week's Green and Gold. You can go to my Instagram at penny underscore gadget to see pictures of John's cannabis farm and some of the damage reaped by the wildfire. Please hit me up on Twitter at EPFox with any questions you may have. And don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast five stars because it's a huge help to us. As a quick aside, we take great pains here on Green and Gold to get every aspect of the show right. And last week, despite our best efforts, I mispronounced our lovely guest's name. It is, in fact, Unica Noll. So apologies again. All right, don't forget, this has been a Table Cakes podcast. Table Cakes Productions is a woman-owned, LA-based podcast network, and you can check out our other shows at tablecakes.com. You can also support Green and Gold by visiting patreon.com backslash tablecakes. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com backslash tablecakes. All right, catch you next week, buds.